So Money, Episode 617, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. This episode originally aired on May 20th, 2016. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. It's Friday. I brought back on our friend of So Money, Sophia Barra. She is the founder of Gen Y Planning. It's a financial planning service for people primarily in their 20s and 30s all across the country. She's my friend. She's excellent at what she does. Check her website out at genyplanning.com. Sophia, are you there? I am. I'm so excited to be here, Farnoosh. It's great to be back. Thank you. It's been a long, long spring. That's all I can say. You know, like we were supposed to have nice weather. It's been raining. I put on a sweater today. I almost put on my Ugg boots. I don't know about you, Sophia. You're all the way in Austin. I hate you. But up here (laughs) in New York, it's ridiculous. This morning, I went to get coffee with my son and put him in the stroller. And he had on his Christmas sweater, a parka. And like <laughs> boots. And he was still, I could tell he was still cold. And uh, I regretted taking him out, but I needed to get my coffee and I ran out of Carrick pods. You can call that so money. Maybe it's not, but I think that Carrick pods save my life. Um, it means that I, I save huh. money, but, and it's not the most environmental thing, but for in our household, it's like what gets us through the day and it's cheaper than buying coffee. But anyway, all this to say, TGIF, and thank God, Sophia, you're here on the show. You know, you, Sophia Bear, everybody, round of applause. I wish I had like one of those buttons that could, I could like applause. <laughs> that would be great. But we're all doing the golf clap over here at uh, So Money. We love having you on the show. You are one of our trusted financial advisors who really understands the millennials like nobody. I mean, it's your job. You, you, have, a re- you have a website called Gen Y. Planning. Planning. There you go. I'll fill in the blank. Yes. Genyplanning.com. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say Gen Y experts. No, no, no. Genyplanning.com. I get these questions every day. And they come in, in the bag loads, questions to my inbox. I try, I'm trying to get up to speed, everybody. I have people tweeting me like, well, you haven't answered my question yet. I'm like, just keep listening. I'm getting to everything as fast as I can. And with the help of trusted experts like Sophia, because truth be told, I don't have all the answers. You know, I'll be honest. I don't know everything. And I, especially what? when it's really technical, right? Yeah. I'm, it's, <laughs> you know, I'm, you're fine. I'm imperfect. I know. I, I, I know a lot of things about a lot of things, but I don't know all the answers. And you got to be very careful when you're giving financial advice, right? So I like to bring on the experts uh, who do this day in and day out. And Sophia, you're one of my favorites. So welcome back. Thank you so much. That was such a fun introduction, Farnoosh. <laughs> you gave me the giggles over here. And then you're making me happy that like I'm not in cold weather anymore. But well, normally been- I would have totally redone that introduction. I would have started over, but I don't yeah. care anymore. This no, is- that was fun. I'm going live. Um, <laughs> people loved your last visit, by the way, when you came on right around oh, tax day. Uh, it was the Friday before tax deadline. And you answered a lot of great questions about what to do if you're a last minute tax filer. And um, people really wrote in and said how much they enjoyed it. So thank you for coming back. How's Austin? I know that you've, you've newly relocated. You've chosen Austin as your 
destination, even though you work virtually. So that's how much you love Austin. You don't have to live there and you are. Anybody who knows me knows that I love Austin and I will try to convince everyone to move here because I just love this city. It's my favorite U.S. city. But we've been having crazy weather here too, Farnoosh. It's been like 90 and rainy. And so I have no idea how you dress for that. Hmm. 90 and rainy versus 40 and rainy. I think you win. Yeah. I mean, at least we can go to the pool, right? (laughs) Oh, well, not really worth complaining about. Small problems in the grand scheme of life. And today is Ask Farnoosh. And so we have some more serious issues at task, which is people's financial questions. I'm happy to say, though, Safir, my audience is pretty sharp. They're smart people. They are ambitious. And these questions, you'll see, you know, they are, it's not basic. You know, it's like, I'm doing great. I want to do better. Um, tweaks to their retirement accounts. And I'm, again, happy that you are here to, to, to navigate. So let's start with Krista here. Sophia, she says that she's interested in investing in target date funds. And she wants to know what my view, your view is on target date funds. She says, it seems like an easy way to introduce some bonds to my portfolio since I don't currently have any. She's 31 and she's looking at some 2050 target date funds. And so the easy aspect makes her nervous because, you know, they are marketed as, oh, you know, set it and forget it. She says, what's the downside? And just a, a primer for everybody, a target date fund, basically a fund that like, for example, 2050, that's the anticipated retirement date. And so from now until 2050, that target date fund will move to kind of make sure that it's got the right allocation, given that you're not going to retire for the next, in this case, 34 years. Basically, it starts out with a more aggressive asset allocation. So you would have more stocks in the beginning, and then it would slowly over time shift the asset allocation to a more conservative asset allocation, which would be replacing some of those stocks with more bonds. Right. So it might start out, you know, 90% stocks, 10% bonds, and then a few years later shift to 85% stocks, 15% bonds until you get towards retirement. Um, and in which case, you know, at that point, it would be like a much more um, conservative asset allocation, but not 100% bonds. I think that there's sometimes the misconception that you're slowly switching to 100% bonds. And usually even those target date funds that are, you know, the um, 2020 fund, um, oftentimes are, you know, 60% stocks, 40% bonds or 50% stocks, 50% bonds. So that's something to be aware of as well. And good point. Just in general, when you're investing for retirement, people think that once you hit 50 or 60, you should go all to bonds, get rid of stocks. But actually, even though you're 60, 65, you should be invested in equities. You're still able to take on some risk because you're not pulling all that money out it at one time. Exactly. So you'd be able to have um, a more moderate asset allocation if you were planning on pulling that money out over the next 30 years in retirement versus you know the next five years. Um, where you would need more short-term cash reserves. So what's the downside? This all sounds great. I want to invest in a target date fund, but um, there are obviously some criticism around these. So I think one of the problems with target date funds is that they all invest a little bit differently. They have a different mix of stocks and bonds depending on who is administering the fund and managing the mutual fund. Um, so it's important to check what the actual ratio of stocks to bonds is and what types of stocks and bonds are included in that mix. Um, you'll see some are very simplistic and might only have four different 
you know, index funds that make up that target date fund. So you might, you know, have very little international exposure, for example. Other times you might have more, you know, emerging markets or small cap uh, exposure than you want. So just to take a look at what are the actual funds that make up the target date fund, I think is really important. And what percentage of stocks to bonds is that ratio? And then another thing to look at is the expense ratio that, that you're charged to own that fund. Oftentimes, it's less expensive to invest in index funds, because somebody isn't uh, choosing that asset allocation for you like they are with a target date fund, which has a mutual fund manager. So target date funds more tend expensive. To, right. So target date funds tend to be a little bit more expensive to own than if you have to choose your own investment mix with index funds. However, um, if you are looking for a simpler solution uh, early on in your career, especially, it can be a good uh, one-stop shop for, for some people who are interested in just, you know, getting started, getting going. Um, I like to say that, you know, asset accumulation is more important than asset allocation in your early investing years. You know, it's more important that we just put money into your 401k every month rather than um, be, you know, concerned if we have the perfect mix of stocks and bonds. Um, nothing's ever going to be perfect. So just getting close is really good. And I think that that's where the target date funds can really come in handy. Um, but just to do your research, look at the expense ratio. An easy place to look up the expense ratio is on Morningstar.com. You enter the ticker symbol in the box, uh, in the kind of the toolbar area, and then it, um, you're able to click on, uh, to the fees associated with the account. And that's where you'll find the expense ratio. Yeah. And I think, you know, 50 basis points or less is what you want to uh, highlight, you know, that I think I read a study that found that the um, average target date fund expense ratio was like around 70 basis points or 0.70%. And that's, that's kind of high. That could be, you know, a lot of money over the course of 30 years invested. So just try to go for the lowest fees as to sort of narrow down your search. You know, you're 31 years old, so it's okay to have a lot of stocks in your portfolio and to make some mistakes and maybe take some additional risk now because uh, you'll have the time to make up for it. And let's move on to Erin. She says her father is thinking about putting some of his money in a trust and making her the beneficiary. Oh, isn't that nice? What are his options and what are the tax benefits of different types of trusts? Sounds like maybe he needs an estate planning attorney in this case. What do you think? Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. This is where it's really helpful to get an estate planning attorney uh, in on your team with with your father's financial planner as well. And Erin, if you are going to be... Um, you know, the beneficiary of the trust, it might be a great idea for you to sit in on those meetings as well so that you really understand how the trust works and, and have a relationship with your father's financial planner and your father's estate planning attorney. And you know, um, the ins and outs of, of that, because there's a lot of different trust provisions that he can set up as well. So some trusts are designed um, so that they're revocable, meaning he can change the terms of the trust at any time. Others are irrevocable, which means that he cannot change the terms of the trust. But there are other tax benefits to irrevocable trusts. 
Um, one thing for him to note is that if he wants you to have access to the money at different ages, he can make those provisions in the trust as well. So some trusts are set up so that you receive a certain amount of money at age 25, another amount at age 30, and the rest at age 35, for example. Um, so there's a lot of different flexibility that your father has when it comes to to the trust. I think the big thing is finding a great estate planning attorney to be on his team in addition to working with the financial planner to figure out which assets do we want in the trust, what types of accounts. Also, if your father has charitable intent, there might be certain um, assets that are better for him to gift to charity versus other uh, assets that would be better to gift to you. Where do you start to find a good estate planning attorney? We worked with one. He was great. He, we kind of, we honestly didn't do a lot of research. It was someone that our financial planner recommended. Yeah, I, I actually think that asking um, your financial planner is a great place to start because they've worked with a bunch of different estate planning attorneys, CPAs, um, and they usually have an extended network. And a lot of times, um, they have other clients that have worked with that estate planning attorney. And so they, you know, they know and they, they like their work. So I think starting with your financial planner is a great place. Um, talking to your CPA, see who they recommend. And then friends and family. Um, seeing, you know, where did your friends go for their estate planning? Uh, and then interview a couple people. Um, the other thing I like is that some cities and some areas offer different classes uh, through like parenting classes and whatnot, well, they'll actually have a night where an estate planning attorney comes in and educates people on why a will is important, you know, where that's where you name a guardian in your will for your child, um, what you need to know about trusts and just like getting basic um, estate planning documents in place. And, um, and so I would say like check if there's, you know, local, um, parenting groups and things like that, that you're a part of, that they might have an estate planning expert that they bring in to speak and educate people on the importance of estate planning documents. Yeah. And Aaron, your father may already have an attorney or at least um, whoever helped him set up his will initially, probably also the same person or team that could help him or at least recommend him an estate planning attorney for specifically this, this trust issue. But I like your idea, Sophia, of having her sit in on those meetings. Yeah, I think there's a lot more financial planners that are doing, um, you know, this legacy planning where they're working with grandparents, parents, yes. and grandchildren as part of the entire financial planning process. And it allows them to do a lot of advanced tax and estate planning that other financial planners really wouldn't be able to do unless they had that CPA and that estate planning attorney on their team, and then could really also inform all of the family members of the ins and outs of the trusts and how those work. So I think it can be a great time to to really get involved um, if that's something that you're interested in and if your father's open to that. Great advice. Okay, let's move on to Katerina. She says uh, she wants to open up a high-yield savings account. She wants to know what is it and how different is it from a regular savings account. She wants to open an emergency savings fund, ideally one that I'm less tempted to drain, she says. Any thoughts? Well, I think definitely high-yield savings account for an emergency fund, especially because you're not going to want this tomorrow. It's for the future in the event of an emergency. In the meantime, it can be earning a higher yield, which is it's self-explanatory, right? A higher yield savings account 
the reason they can pass on those higher yields to their customers is because typically they're just online banks. There's no brick and mortar expenses. There are a lot more bare bones. They don't really also do a lot of marketing. And as a result, their savings, they pass on to their customers in the form of higher yields. What are your favorite uh, high yield savings accounts, Sophia? A good standby is Ally Bank. They have one of the highest interest rates and the least strings attached, I like to say. So right now, Ally Bank is offering a 1% interest rate on their high yield savings account. And there's no minimum, which I really like. And you link it to your already existing checking account. So this is great if you don't want to, you know, switch banks entirely, you have your payroll already set up going to your checking account, you can literally just go to ally.com, set up a new savings account, link your checking account and set up a monthly transfer every month so that you have money going from your checking account to your savings account. And it'll help separate that money from being all at one bank with your checking and savings in the same place. Right now on your savings account at maybe a brick and mortar bank, you're probably earning like 0.1 on your savings and you could be earning 1%. So 10 times more by having it on an online bank, which is why it can be really important, especially as we're getting into, you know, 10, 20, 30, or even a hundred thousand dollars in cash that, that yeah. people might have that they want to save for. It's that can really be the difference between a couple hundred dollars a year that they're missing out on an mm-hmm. interest. And it's just a matter of where you're parking your cash and a couple of websites for you to look at bankrate.com, nerdwallet.com. Check out those two websites. They have some great, you know, charts and um, lists. You can search by high yield or whatever you're looking for, CDs, bonds. They can show you what the various banks that they have relationships with and affiliations with, what are their going rates right now. So you can do a, a quick search that way. All right. Let's see who is next. Bonnie. Bonnie is 33 years old, Sophia. She's a former adjunct professor. She now makes 40000 a year running her family's small business. She has a 453B that has $7,000. She has a $3,000 emergency fund, and she has 16000 in student loans at a 0% interest rate. What kind of a loan is that? I'd be interested to find out. Have you ever heard of that? So if you have 0% student loan? Um, well, it could be because uh, she mentioned that she's continuing to take some college classes. So she's deferring her loans right now. Oh, right. I, I, let me finish the question, Sophia. Ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Maybe I should read the whole thing before I start asking questions. <sighs> this is what happens when your guest is smarter than you are. Okay, so she she goes on. She says, this rate is because I have continued to take classes at a community college to defer the interest from accruing. Okay, gotcha. She says, I rent and I live in Southern California where real estate is really expensive. Should I continue to pay the uh, to pay down my student loan? She says, it's going to take about two years to get rid of that loan at the current rate or put some of that money towards savings for a down payment for a house, either in a savings account or through rolling over my 453B into a Roth IRA and beginning to contribute a monthly amount. And what should that monthly amount be? Wow. So a few questions here. One, she continued to pay down her student loan or put that money towards a down payment for a house. And if it's the house, should it be in a savings account or through ultimately the Roth IRA, which gives you that provision? Yeah, lots of great questions in here. So I'm a big fan of paying off the student loans. Yeah, I don't like the idea um, of paying money through your retirement account. That's for retirement. Yeah, I mean, and I also feel like 
you know, regardless of what the interest rate is on your student loans, I've never had a client say, you know, Sophia, I really regretted paying off my student loans last year. I don't know why I did that. You know, like even if they're just at a few percent, people always feel better paying off their student loans. Um, And the other thing is right now that 0% interest rate, she's, you know, she's getting that because she's taking classes you know, I would maybe kind of refocus on whether you still want to be paying money to take those those classes um, when that money could be going towards paying down your student loans. So I would say like, you know, really reevaluating, um, you know, how you want to spend your cash flow. It sounds like this is a really good time to do that. Aggressively pay off the student loans, I think sounds like a great idea. And also build up that emergency savings. She mentioned she has about $3,000 in emergency emergency savings, which is probably about one month of her net pay. However, you know, having in that, that three to six months of net pay saved for emergencies before she even starts, you know, saving for a down payment on a home. Yes. And and there's nothing wrong with renting. I think right now we're kind of in this time where people are feeling like, oh, I, I'm in my thirties. I should buy. It's like the right thing to do. It's not necessarily. And, and I think that even though, um, I think that there people are getting a lot of pressure from family to to buy homes, and I don't necessarily think that that's the best thing for this person's financial situation, especially if you have student loans and not a fully funded emergency fund. Um, I think a Roth IRA is just a great account that you should be contributing to now, especially if you're working for your family business and you're, you know, no longer have that option of contributing to a work retirement plan. If they don't have something set up, you know, making it a goal to max out your Roth IRA every year with $5,500 is a a good idea. You may also qualify for the savers credit, depending on, um, you know, your income and, um, and how much you put into your retirement account. So that's a good tax credit to look into as well. So I would say that I love that she's thinking about saving for a down payment on a home, but I think that there are some other financial priorities here first in terms of fully funding emergency savings, getting rid of that student loan debt and getting on track for retirement. Agree. And making more money, perhaps, you know, sooner than later, $40,000 in Southern California, 33 years old. I mean, I I don't know how you're doing it. I know that's similar to maybe living in New York City, LA, New York City, similar uh, cost of living in some cases. Rent's not as high, but like food and, and everything else. Of course, you probably have a car too. So that's an added expense. I would try to look at ways to increase your income. I love that idea for Anoush. And I think that that's one that a lot of people don't think about. Um, But I think especially for, you know, when you're young in your 20s and 30s. And I mean, I think it's a great idea to just really focus on your earning potential because your income stream is your biggest asset. You know, if you can increase your income now, it could really have a huge impact exponentially on your, uh, your income over the long term. So while it's really great that you're able to help family out right now, it sounds like you're doing that by discounting your value and, um, and how much you could be earning working at another company, maybe doing a similar position. So it might be a good opportunity to look into that as well. Yeah. I mean, I know so many of my friends who let's say got a lump sum of cash in their twenties or they got an extra job and they were able to save a lot of that money and they became five figures. Look, that's money that you're going to be able to use to ultimately, you know, 
buy that house and suddenly you're in a new income bracket, a new wealth bracket. I think with your experience as a professor, you're running a business, you have a lot of skills that maybe you're not monetizing all of them, but there are ways out there. There's a market out there for things that you can offer and make money on the side passively. And one more question, Sophia, we have, I think we have time for, and this one is Carrie. Also in her 30s, she says she's chronically single in my 30s, but that's not the problem. <laughs> um, it's true. Being single now in your 30s is just the norm. And um, who, who cares if you want to get married or not? Like, I think there was actually an article this weekend in the Times about just uh, that getting married is, you know, not the capstone of life anymore. It's a cornerstone. Right. It's like if I ha- if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. She says, I want to make sure that I'm financially prepared as I get older, just in case I remain remain single. But I'm having a hard time finding money advice for never married singles who aren't younger and expected to marry someday. I have plans in place to tackle my consumer debt and an enormous student loan debt, a small savings and a decent 401k and pension. I want to make sure all aspects of my life are covered. Do you have any suggestions for planning a solo life? I would rather undo and or reallocate the money elsewhere should my status change than to wake up in my 60s completely unprepared. I love that she's thinking ahead. I love this question. I think it's great. Um, I'm single in my 30s, so I can totally relate to this question. And I think that it's, you know, I mean... I love that she's wanting to be financially independent, regardless of whether she's married or single later on. And I think that that's really important. And she has a lot going on. I really think that she could could benefit from talking to a financial planner, especially if she's a higher income earner, but also has the higher student loan debt. Because really working through a plan to pay off the student loan debt, um, get on track for retirement pay off the rest of her consumer debt can really help set her up financially by building, building that basic financial security. And, you know, if you meet somebody else and you decide that you want to merge your life with a partner, you're just going to be in a better financial position in which to do so. Uh, so I think that she's, you know, taking the right steps. I think the first step would be tackling that consumer debt. Uh, if you have any high interest rate credit card debt, getting rid of that right away. And then also, uh, build, making sure you have emergency savings, building up at least three months of emergency savings and figuring out a plan for those student loans. Do you want to take a look at student loan refinancing options? Um, if they're private student loans, uh, and taking a look at, are you maximizing your 401k and, and what does your pension look like as well? So this is more of a complex question. I think it'd be great for you to talk to a financial planner. Come on over to my website, genyplanning.com. I love working with clients like you. I have a lot of clients that are single women in their 30s. So, I mean, I do think there are resources out there and um, it's just going to take a little bit of digging, but it might be really great to have somebody on your team to help you navigate through that. And if I may add one more resource to the mix, I just last week I was meeting with Sally Krawcheck in person. She's been a guest on the show. For those of you who don't know Sally, she is a financial trailblazer, female trailblazer. She was at one point one of the most powerful women on Wall Street and has since started a website called lvest.com. And essentially, this is a platform for women, created by women, that helps you get a personalized plan for reaching your goals, whether it's retirement, whether it's starting that business, whether it's buying that car, 
and all of the above. And it takes into account things like not just your risk tolerance, but you know, what are the sort of things that you are willing to trade off to accomplish these goals? What's your time horizon? What are your aspirations? And, and I think that it's very easy to use. It's actually not open to the public just yet. As far as like anyone can sign up, they're taking it by invitation only, but go to lvest.com to learn a little bit more. And you, the reason I, I want to recommend this to you, Carrie, is because you are in many ways their target market. Uh, educated woman in her thirties who's aspirational, who's thinking ahead and is goal oriented. I would say that one of the biggest gaps outside of the gender income gap is the gender investment gap. You know, women aren't investing as much as men. And frankly, we need money more than men in our, in retirement because we are living longer. This is so interesting for Anoush. I haven't heard of this yet. So I just, while you were talking, signed up. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, as I said, they're not open to the public right now. They're, they want to be careful about onboarding because they, what they're worried about and it would happen, I think is like, they would just get overwhelmed and they just want to be very, really thoughtful. And Sally told me she wants to review every single financial plan in the beginning. But I think that if the site actually executes everything that in theory it's promising, it's going to be a game changer. So I'm happy to see that there are products out there specific for women. Uh, We need them, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's really exciting now that that we are controlling more wealth and that, you know, millennials are getting older and getting, you know, great jobs, that they're starting to build products designed for us, that these fintech companies are are coming out with really cool, innovative products to to help millennials, to help women with their money and whatnot. Totally. And and I just it just occurred to me that every single question today came in from a female. So we just want to thank Carrie and Bonnie and Katerina and Erin and Krista and you, Sophia, for coming back and sharing all your wisdom with our audience. It's always such a treat to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Farnoosh. It was great to be here. Absolutely. Everyone go to genyplanning.com and um, Sophia is going to help you out. So if you have any other questions, you can ask her. But as always, go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks again and hope your weekend is so money. So money.